Reading has two major components. The first component is decoding or turning letters into sounds and then words. The second major component of reading is comprehension, which is understanding what you've read. Steph gave us so many tips for reading in episode 12 called My Kid Isn't Reading. Today, we're going to specifically tackle reading comprehension. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to Episode 17 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. In today's episode, we're going to provide you with just some of our favorite reading comprehension strategies. This episode is part of our reading series. Be sure to go back and listen to episode 12 called My Kid Isn't Reading if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet. We initially wrote this episode with the intention of it only actually being one episode, but when we realized how many strategies we wanted to share and how it can be overwhelming, especially if you aren't an educational therapist or don't have a background in education, we split this episode into a two-parter. We definitely hope you listen next week so you can hear all the different strategies that Steph and I wanted to share with you. The first important conversation that we have to have is about how reading comprehension struggles can actually fly under the radar for a lot of students. Steph, I know you see this a lot in your practice. I definitely see this a lot. Why do you think that reading comprehension can fly under the radar in the classroom? It usually flies under the radar because the kids that struggle with reading comprehension aren't necessarily the ones that also struggle with decoding and fluency. So that means that they read beautifully. And a lot of them are really savvy. And so they can pick up on some plot points and maybe gather from discussion or their friends what's going on, and they can fool the teachers and adults around them. And really, if you ask them to dig a little bit deeper, other than who was the main character, they might not be able to tell you much more. Or they know the name of the main character, but they can't tell you any details about them. Right, exactly. They know if they're a boy or a girl, but they aren't really sure of the age or the location that the story is taking place in or any of the details of the narrative, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think it's important to note, I had a conversation yesterday with a a parent that was talking about how she switched her child in third grade to a different school. And she was saying, oh, I think it's because the old school didn't have this, that, or the other. And I said, third grade is really a transition year. It's a critical year in school. I would say a lot of my calls come from parents of rising fourth graders after that third grade year. Yeah. I think you and I both have a lot of fourth and fifth graders. Uh-huh. That year is really tricky. And also, if you make a school transition that year, it's going to be even more challenging because now you're adding in learning the new culture of the school and situating yourself socially. So there's a lot of challenges with making a transition between second and third grade. But the reason that third grade is so tricky is because the expectation in third grade is that you know how to read, meaning you are able to decode sounds and you're understanding what you read. And so in third grade, it switches from learning to read, which is primarily what first and second grade is spent doing, to reading to learn. 
so the expectation is that you're understanding the material that's given to you in written word. It's a tricky year. It really is. Yeah. It is. And I think sometimes parents are not prepared for that. They don't know. And this is when issues particularly with attention, if your child is struggling with written expression, a lot of challenges can emerge in this year. Definitely. I think the majority, if you go back to clients that start with you in middle school or high school, when I ask them about teachers, what they've said, every single time, third grade comes up. Third grade is a year that we hear often. Sometimes parents mark fourth grade, but honestly, there's like kind of this unwritten rule of thumb that the odd years are actually a little more challenging than the even years. So first grade, the expectations shift between kindergarten and first grade. Third grade, the expectations shift between second and third. And fifth grade, they're really preparing you at most schools anyway, for a transition to... It's funny because I think it's not necessarily always the odd grades and not necessarily... I don't know. It depends. Because I feel like 10th grade is much harder than 9th grade for some reason, academically. It is. I don't know. I agree with you. Maybe at a certain point, it switches to the even years. Yeah. But for sure, first, third, and fifth grade tend to be more challenging years. Yeah. I agree with you on that one. Yeah. So we're going to jump into a discussion of our favorite reading comprehension strategies, but Steph and I are going to remind you of this as often as we can. We are going to give you a lot of ideas and a lot to think about. Whenever we give you ideas and whenever we give you strategies, we are not intending for you to do everything all at once. Let me repeat that. We are not asking you to try everything all at once. That's not reasonable. It's not achievable. And it's not realistic. So pick one or two of these strategies, especially if your student is a struggling reader, pick the ones that you think that they're going to connect with the most and start there. A lot of the times we talk about these strategies as like throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. It's a lot of what we do in session two. I won't try to teach four strategies in a session. Sessions are 50 minutes long. Teaching four strategies isn't enough time to teach the strategy, have them have the client rehearse the strategy, have them independently be able to explain the strategy back to you. Cause that's really when you know if their learning has like taken hold is when they can express it. So don't try to do too much at once. One thing at a time, right, Steph? One thing at a time. One thing at a time. So, Steph, what is our first of our top 10 reading comprehension strategies? What's the first? The first one is knowing what the story is about in advance. And we've talked about this a little bit before. I said in episode 12 yes, about looking at the book that you are going to read or your child is going to read or you're going to read together and getting some visual cues. And so what we mean by that is looking at the cover, getting a sense of what the art is. Yep. What color is the book? What do the characters look like? What Are there any pictures that are just so subtle that if you really dig into what they are, it might give you a really good sense of the book? Of course, there's the obvious reading the back of the book right. to get a sense, but I think it's also important to look at the art because... It does say a lot. I think I mentioned in that 
episode that I was talking about a book called Lawn Boy, and it was green, and it doesn't really look like grass, Mm -hmm. but it's green, and there's a few visual cues, and I think I talked about the movie Home Alone, Mm -hmm. and how in the front he's got a face where he's yelling, and Mm -hmm. you can see the robbers and whatnot, and it gives you sort of a sense. I mean, how many times have you gone into a movie, and you don't know what it's about exactly, And it sort of throws you off if you're trying to navigate the story a little bit. It helps if you have an understanding walking into it. If you have context for what it's about. Exactly. I think that's really good advice, especially for younger readers who still have the luxury of pictures. And I have to say, as an adult reader, I wish my books had pictures because I'm super visual (laughs) like that. But... For a student who is potentially in middle school and high school and still struggling with reading comprehension, Steph and I both very much believe in spark notes. Yes. Go find out what the story is about in advance. You're going to hear us talk a lot about in this episode, you're going to hear us talk a lot about reading for information. So when good readers, fluent readers who seamlessly integrate decoding and comprehension without any areas of struggle, they're good on both like strands of that like blanket that we're weaving together, they are reading for the story. Students who struggle with reading need to read for specific information, which brings us to number two. Now, I'm going to direct people back to my Instagram at cap at therapy. And the only reason I'm doing that is because I've taken a lot of pictures and posted a lot about this particular strategy, which is pre-filling a book with sticky notes to help you write a summary. So what I do is, let's say you have a middle school student and they have to read a book for school. It's not a book that they self-selected. They're not super interested in it. Plus reading is hard for them because they struggle with understanding the story. Without these sticky notes, which I call like insurance policies, (laughs) there's no accountability. They can read straight through it. And then you as a parent say, hey, did you read it? They say yes, because they did. But there's no like deeper level integration or consideration of what the story is actually telling them. You take sticky notes with lines and you pre-fill out questions that they have to answer. So a lot of the time I do the W questions, which are who was being spoken about in the last couple of pages, what happened, where did it take place, and when did it take place? Sometimes I have, depending on the age and the ability of the student, I'll have them add what was an interesting moment and draw a picture of what just happened. And I add sometimes, depending on the age of the student, why. Yes. And the why sometimes I take into context. What was an important why something happened? Or if you look back, why do you think that happened in context of the story? Or why do you think something's going to happen going forward? So to use a little bit of previewing and and making connections and making making connections and and foreshadowing Mm -hmm. and all of that. So I do that with some of the kids too, not all of them, but some of them. It depends on where they are. If your student is really struggling with like the fact questions, which are the who, the what, the where, and the when, and they can't properly answer those questions, start there. Mm -hmm. If your student is ready for like kind of deeper level, higher critical thinking questions, go ahead and add those in too. Ideally, they're able to answer the fact-based questions and do that deeper level. We're going to do a whole episode on how to cultivate 
higher level of critical thinking when it comes to reading in students. And because we don't want that just surface level understanding. We want them making predictions. We want them making connections to their life. And we want them to understand inferencing and all these other bigger ideas. But right now, we're just talking about the student who really can't answer what happened in the story. And so you fill in these stickies and you go to Staples and you get those, for those of you who love school supplies, you get those stickies with the lines and you pre-write who, what. Or on Amazon. Or on Amazon. You can go back to, I think it's episode 15, which is our school supplies episode. I feel like we should make sticky notes. We should get Post-its to like have them already pre-filled in for us. I've looked into that. And? It's very expensive to have sticky notes personalized to like the specific things that we're asking of it. I've looked into it. And because I spent a lot of time in session writing who, what, Mm -hmm. where, Mm -hmm. when. And if you are a listener and you have a hookup that can help make these sticky notes for us, we would love (laughs) it. Email us at learnsmarterpodcast at gmail.com. We're always happy to collaborate. Um, (laughs) We talk about school supplies, I was right, in episode 15. We also have a freebie that links directly to these sticky notes that we are talking about. That was a bit meandering on number two, but what is our third strategy for building up reading comprehension skills? The third strategy is visualization. And some of you might be really familiar with Linda Mood Bell, and they do a visualizing and verbalizing program. And this is sort of the same idea where it stems from. If you read a paragraph, after each paragraph, you're wanting to think about what it is you just read, and you're picturing it. And as an adult, think about when you're reading something and you are picturing it yourself and what it looks like. And sometimes when you go see a movie of a book. Totally. And it doesn't look like what you thought it did in your brain. It's really. It throws you off, right? It does. Yeah. I remember experiencing that with Harry Potter. I was like. Oh, with Harry Potter. Oh, interesting. The actors just didn't look like how I envisioned them in my brain. (laughs) Fair enough. And also learning how to actually pronounce Hermione was wild when that happened. (laughs) Yeah, fair. Yeah, no, agreed. (laughs) That's so funny. Definitely read it as Hermione for like four books. I think in book four, she spells it out phonetically. And I was like, what? Blows your mind. (laughs) Blows your mind. So it's important to note that not all students do this. Inherently. Right. So some students you need to practice this with. And it helps you visualize the story and knowing what's going on a little bit more when you have another Mm -hmm. connection to it. So when you're creating a picture, it forces you to understand it a little bit more than you would if you just kept going. So sometimes after each paragraph, it's a really good idea to say, what does the character look like? And the answer might be, yeah, or they'll be like, it didn't say when it did say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So then you need to go a little bit deeper and start asking questions. And they might need to be leading questions. And teaching them to go back into the text and look again. Exactly. And if there aren't enough details, then maybe you're just teaching them to create the picture themselves. Is the boy tall? Is the boy short? Is the boy... Totally. Older, younger, does the boy have a certain color hair, etc. Exactly. This is a strategy that I use a lot with students on 
math word problems, taking the time to imagine what the person looks like. If we're dealing with rubber duckies, drawing a picture of rubber duckies over the problem to give them a second to process what's happening. It also has the same benefit as the stickies in the book, which is it holds our students accountable. If they're forced to draw a picture at the end of every paragraph, I mean, you do what's reasonable for your child. I think Steph and I default to at the end of every paragraph. But if you're forced to draw a picture, you're forced to attend to at least some details. Yeah. I mean, if it's a kid that loves to read and does have comprehension somewhat and just needs the deeper level, I say yep. do every chapter. So it just depends on where your student is at and your the age of your student. One more thing that I've noticed about this visualization technique, if I have a student that's reading independently, meaning I'm not necessarily reading the book along with them, but my expectation is that they're going to come into session and update me, which is also my way of checking in that they're understanding what they're reading. If I ask a question that they don't necessarily remember the answer to because they struggle with reading comprehension, but it's pretty obvious that the answer was in the text at some point, they're able to really quickly go back to the proper section and find me the answer to the question that I'm asking because they remember what they drew and where they drew it. And so they're looking for that specific drawing. Mm. This helps going back and checking in the book and looking for answers. A lot of times students don't do this. I see this a lot with math, too. They don't go back and check to see if it was explained. Yeah, and think about that going forward and when you need that in middle school and high school. And this is just laying the foundation to be able to go back and find the answers or in a standardized test or whatever it is that's going to come your student's way in the future. This is just the base of everything that going forward. The last strategy that we're going to share today is one that Steph and I love. Love. We do this one (laughs) a lot for ourselves. It's one of the reasons I'm such a huge fan of podcasts. I think I'm constantly sending episodes that I like of certain podcasts to certain friends. I never really send people our podcasts (laughs) because... No. (laughs) I mean, potentially, if a client calls and they ask a specific question and we've done an episode on that, I absolutely send them the episode because it's just more comprehensive than me answering the question on the phone oftentimes, or we go into a deeper explanation than I'm able to do in the time allowed. But we love audiobooks. Love. The reason audiobooks are awesome is because audiobooks remove the burden of decoding. So if a student struggles with decoding, meaning they're spending a lot of their energy and their focus just trying to sound out the sounds, it removes that burden entirely because someone is doing the decoding for them. And their only obligation in reading is to understand. Here's the caveat. Mm -hmm. A student who is currently in school should never just be listening to the audio. That means they are listening to the audio while simultaneously looking at the text and following along in the text. That's really critical. The reason we encourage that is because one of the main issues with students who struggle with reading is that they fall behind with vocabulary. They are no longer Mm -hmm. reading books that are developmentally and age appropriate, and they're reading books that are behind grade level because that's where their reading level is. They tend to think those books are babyish, 
and they're not being challenged by the vocabulary. And so when you have a struggling reader, the thing that's evident the most in middle school and high school is that they have weaker vocabulary. This allows students to be independent. It allows you not to be involved. And the audiobooks that are available, and there's audiobooks for every book, are really, really high quality at this point. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'll add, and Steph, you and I haven't talked about this, but I have a student who likes finding teachers who have read a book aloud on YouTube. They're on YouTube chapters for a lot of the yep. books, the high school, middle and high school books. You can check them out at the library. Audiobooks? Yes. And of course, there's Audible. So there's, you know, one paid and two free versions of getting an audiobook. So we don't want you to feel like you're burdened with having to buy the audiobook right. and buy the text. You could go to the library and get the book or get the audiobook and also find it on YouTube. I would encourage if you had to pick one thing to buy, you buy the text itself because we're going to talk about next week is writing in the text and how important that is. And also why students are resistant to writing in the text. But we love audiobooks, you guys. But remember, your student has to have the book in front of them and be following along and listening to the story. And as adults, I still love being read to. And Steph, I know you love, I mean, oh, yeah. we talk about all the time how we're listening to content while washing dishes. And you're like, I, I, I just finished listening to a book and I was telling my fiance about it. And he's like, hold on a second. When did you have time to read a book? Because it's been a particularly <laughs> nutty 2018 for him and I. And I was like, oh, I listened to it in the car. Or I was listening to it when I was cleaning the <laughs> table, which is something I do every day. This table just is like troubles. It just more and more is on it every day. Um, and so we love audio content. I also wanted to add, there is a way on your Kindle to have the Kindle magically sync up with the audio and have Kindle highlight which words they're reading. I've never actually figured it out because my Kindle is rather old, but I know that it is possible. I've seen it. I just don't know how to set it up. <laughs> but I do tell parents, go ahead and try to figure that one out because that's awesome. YouTube can tell you how to do that I don't have the too. time right now, Steph, to figure that out. And right now, <laughs> I just want to give people the strategies and, you know, I don't – go ahead, people. Go to YouTube. Yeah, pull, pulling back the curtain. I am the tech support I can't tell you how many times I uh, have texted Steph. And also, she has to get back to me on a Google Chrome question that I had for her a couple days ago. <laughs> and for the record, I tried for like a week to solve my own problem because I don't want to burden Steph with stuff that I can figure out. But you know what? Can't figure this one out. So Steph's going to let me know. <laughs> So be sure to tune in next week as we go through the remainder of our list. And as always, you can connect with us on our website. And don't forget, you can always reach out to Steph and I to book strategy sessions. We love doing this with you guys. We love hearing from you. We love hearing what you're struggling with. Be sure to connect with us. There's so many different ways. At Learn Smarter Podcast on Instagram, our website of the same URL. And we will see you next week to finish out the remainder of this list. See you next week. Have a great week.